0: Hello ladies, happy Sunday. I am working through the documents of the Council of Trent and that is taking quite a while, which is why we do not yet have another episode in the readings series. With the birth of our fourth child fast approaching, however, I did want to get in at least one more episode uh, before the demands of fourth trimester keep us off the air for a much longer period of time. And recently on my blog, I had two uh, posts on different marriage books. One was entitled Strength Space Marriage, and the other was entitled His Needs, Her Needs. I shared the links to these posts on the Will to Wife Facebook page. And having done so is what prompted this episode, because unfortunately... Uh, The post about his needs, her needs was more of a warning than an endorsement, and I wanted to flesh out some of the points mentioned in that post um, and share with all of you kind of what goes on in my head when I'm looking for books to recommend to all of you, kind of the pitfalls for which I'm on high alert. So let's start with pitfalls to which uh, female authors are, are prone. So we've talked about man's basic fundamental need for respect, that men need respect like oxygen, that they equate respect with love, but if forced to differentiate, consistently state that they would prefer to feel unloved rather than disrespected. This is bringing us back to episode 2, where we talked about fallen woman's fundamental tendency to emasculate man, and how good intentions do not change this reality. Eve emasculated Adam, and she did so without malice and clearly with the best of intentions, but it stands that she emasculated him, and Pope Pius XII called this usurping Adam's headship. Later on in our Living the Serenity prayer series, we took time to detail what respect looks like because the overwhelming majority of us uh, fail to recognize just how much we are influenced by the feminist movement, how so much of the behavior that we excuse as normal for women um, is actually indicative of demonic influence. We shared some insight from an exorcist, Father Ripperger, about that, and the quotes were taken from Carrie Gress's The Anti-Mary Exposed. All of this to say, I don't feel comfortable Uh, recommending books by women whose presentation of respect is, shall we say, half-baked. You know, they're stating that men need respect and they, they reference sacred scripture, but then they will give either anecdotes from their own marriage or from other women who are following their advice. And it becomes clear from the anecdotes that at whatever time the book was written, at least, they still did not have a clear understanding of what constitutes respect. Specifically, with regards to the fact that good ends do not justify poor means. Too many of the anecdotes that I run into uh, with these books that I end up not recommending to all of you run something along the lines of, I know this probably wasn't the best way to handle it, but it all came right in the end. Yes, God can bring good out of anything. But if we know (laughs) that a certain behavior is problematic or even sinful, we don't sin and then go to God and say, yeah, I sin, but it's okay because you'll take care of it. You know, it doesn't work like that. The other thing about those types of anecdotes is that, again, because of the use of ends to justify uh, the less than ideal means, the message that, that seems to be communicated is essentially that you should respect your husband so that he ends up changing in this way or doing these things, rather than that he should be respected out of obedience to God. And so the message is still fundamentally flawed. It is nice when our husbands grow and are inspired by our respect, but even if he does not, we are commanded by God to respect him. That is our bottom line as Catholics. If our motivation uh, to go through the motions of respect is because we expect him to change in response, um, in response to our appearing respectful, then we are still being fundamentally disrespectful because we are actually being manipulative. So it's, it, it's tough and it's rather sad that far too many female authors although both Catholic and non-Catholic alike, fall into this trap of having a sort of half-baked presentation of respect. Now, of course, a mature reader with a solid understanding of what respect objectively looks like uh, will be able to read any of these books and still be able to glean some good information, we hope. So for my part, I will still recommend these books on occasion, but only on a case-by-case basis, specific... Um, to women of whom I know enough to feel confident that they'll be able to read that material with mature discernment. So now let's turn to the pitfalls to which uh, male authors are prone. As we have stated succinctly, but also detailed heavily many times over this podcast, uh, the fundamental tendency of fallen woman is to emasculate man. From what I've seen, uh, healthy men do not have this in the forefront of their minds when they're trying to coach or teach women how to have healthy relationships with men. And that's a good thing. Uh, They are incredibly gentle. They're incredibly charitable. They give women the benefit of the doubt. We don't want to fault them for their chivalry. However, that also means that when a woman needs some tough love and some hard truth, Uh, Male authors on marriage are rarely the ones to deliver it with the needed amount of emphasis. And this is the same challenge, I won't say problem, uh, but the same challenge that we have with our confessors sometimes is that well-formed priests uh, will go so far as to say that when a marriage is struggling, that both spouses are at fault and that neither party is neutral. But, while a priest, as a man, may have it in the forefront of their minds that fallen man's fundamental tendency is to abdicate headship, they, they don't seem to recall quite as easily that fallen women are fundamentally manipulative and controlling. Again, we don't want to fault them for being so charitable. Uh, For being so, I guess, pastoral would be the correct word to use with regards to our priests. But it is a real challenge. So because of this incredible charity on the part of healthy men, uh, the fallout, shall we say, is that there are some things that only women can and will say to other women. And again, really, this is not to be viewed as as problematic per se. In a similar vein, there are things that only men can say to each other, where if a woman was saying it to a man, it would be inherently disrespectful. Something similar exists on the flip side. Here's where the maturity of the reader comes into play. The danger for the immature reader, uh, if I could sum sum it up in a nutshell, is actually a lack of emotional chastity. Yes, emotional chastity for married women is a serious issue. Because of the gentleness of these healthy male authors and also healthy priests, an immature woman will begin to toy with emotional infidelity. They feel so understood by this man, and they start comparing their husband to him, and they start wishing that their husband was more like them, and they justify their own poor behavior towards their husband as a just punishment, which their husband has merited by virtue of failing to understand them, as well as this priest or this author apparently does. I wish, in a very general way, uh, that more women would read content by men in order to have a better understanding and, hopefully, acceptance of authentic masculinity. But this danger of emotional fidelity is such a serious one that, again, I can only in good conscience recommend books on a case-by-case basis. To women whom I am thoroughly confident will not engage in emotional infidelity. You know, what's really sad is that some women will actually use Jesus this way. Women will compare their husbands to Christ in order to justify unchrist-like behavior towards their husbands. They will say that their husband does not deserve to be treated like Christ because he doesn't act like Christ. And how contrary is that to all of sacred scripture and the saints proclaiming that the default view of the Christian is seeing Christ in others. How twisted is it that women will use a husband's objective lack of semblance to Christ as an excuse to not strive to see Christ in him? Now, a real problem, not just a challenge this time, but a real problem, I think, uh, that is presented by healthy men tending to be very charitable with women is that when men try to coach women on how to communicate with their husbands, especially with regards to their emotions, men can very easily forget to contextualize their advice with the appropriate caveats. For a situation where there has been a significant history of disrespect. A man who feels heavily disrespected by his wife will view any attempt on her part to speak of her emotions as yet another attempt at manipulation, no matter what words she uses. Her history of disrespect has rendered him incapable of receiving her. We've talked about this too, that disrespect to a guy is a literal turnoff. Contempt from a woman is a thousand times more effective than a cold shower. Male infidelity can almost always be traced to feeling disrespected by their woman. So all of that to say, male coaching on how to communicate with a guy can backfire heavily if the author does not have the foresight to warn against trying certain methods if there is a significant history of disrespect in the marriage. And that also means that that author has to be able to qualify what a history of disrespect in marriage looks like. Now, a mature female reader uh, needs to be aware of how a history of disrespect can make certain suggested methods for communication inappropriate until such a time as respect has been firmly reestablished in the marriage for a significant period of time. Okay, the other pitfall to which I believe male authors are prone is also related to trying to coach women to speak to their husbands the way that a guy would speak to another guy. So similar to the half-baked understanding of respect that female authors can sometimes have, many male authors have kind of a half-baked understanding of what constitutes authentic Femininity. And frankly, this is not surprising. One of the draws of authentic femininity is a woman's mystery. Men love women who are mysterious, not secretive, not sinfully secretive in a way which is debilitating to their relationship, but mysterious in our otherness. The love that men have for the mystery of woman echoes the love that we, as Christians, have for the mysteries of the church the things which are so undoubtedly beautiful and also so far out of our ability to comprehend. And it's part of our relationship with Christ to spend our lives trying so hard to better embrace and wrap our heads and our whole selves around these mysteries. Well, the same is true for men and the mystery of authentic femininity. Part of what men find alluring about women is how impossible it is for them to ever know and understand us so completely. Men love adventure, and this is part of that love of adventure. The adventure of never running out of beautiful things to discover about their woman. That presents to man a challenge, an ongoing challenge, And that challenge is incredibly exciting. And so understandably, because these healthy male authors are in awe of the mystery that woman presents, because their healthy and loving attitude towards woman is that of Adam being thunderstruck by Eve, being enamored by her, adoring of her otherness, you can't really expect a man (laughs) to be effective at coaching a woman to be mysterious. You know, since he can't comprehend it, it's beyond a tall order to ask a man to coach you on it. And so again, there are things that only women can say to other women, and that's okay. It's not problematic, but it is challenging to read a male author and balance his perspective and his suggestions of how we might conduct ourselves with this understanding. That he cannot be expected to speak from a place of complete authority, regarding the mysterious hour of a woman. Okay, let's move on to the pitfalls of books which are written for couples regardless of if the author is male or female. There are so many books out there with excellent information which fall into this category Um, And immature readership is sadly what makes it so difficult to recommend them to the masses. If a reader is entrenched in victim mentality, meaning that they're convinced that there is no hope for their marriage unless their spouse makes some conscious effort to change, so they're pinning the problem on their spouse, then reading a book which is written for couples can be used by an immature reader to further justify their own victim mentality. It's great that these books for couples are very fair in their approach of presenting his side and her side, but an immature wife will look at statements explaining why she responds the way she does to her husband's behavior and point to those and say, see, my response is normal. Or she will look at statements written for her husband's benefit, explaining how treating her better or communicating with her better can greatly reduce or even eliminate issues. And she will say, see, it's your fault that we have this problem. You are the one who needs to change. Compound this potential with the issues we already discussed above, if it's a female author who doesn't have a firm grasp of what respect objectively looks like, if it's a male author who doesn't know how to take into account a history of a wife's disrespect and that sense of deep betrayal uh, that her husband may have in response to his wife's disrespect, then we have a recipe for disaster. A mature reader of books for couples focuses on what they can do and acts on that information regardless of if their spouse is interested or involved. And so there are also some books for couples which are very bad because they do not merely fail to address victim mentality. They actually further it by stating that the other spouse's conscious, deliberate, focused interest or involvement is absolutely necessary to heal a marriage. And that is simply not the case. There is plenty of evidence out there from both male and female professional practitioners of all sorts working with crisis marriages that if one spouse is willing to move and gives it their all, it is enough to make a significant difference. Immature readers, immature wives, choose to believe otherwise because it gives them an excuse to stay exactly the way that they are. I know that a fair number of my listeners share these episodes with their husbands and I'd like to share uh, for the husband's benefit that I do believe uh, that women have a bit of a leg up on this on being able to change the trajectory of a marriage by being willing to move first. Why? Not merely because of the overwhelming amount of anecdotal evidence, not merely because of statistics that wives are the ones to initiate two-thirds of all divorces, both Catholic and non-Catholic alike, but because of the scripturally-based theology that man is oriented towards God and woman is oriented towards man. That man was created for God and not for woman, but woman for man. That's in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And that while man's charge from God is care of the world, woman's charge from God is man's heart. If a woman's heart is closed to this fundamental charge from God to care for her man's heart, to be its ever vigilant custodian, its unfailing guardian, its untiring cultivator, then can you see how that can cause a serious conundrum? I'm not saying that it's impossible in situations, for example, where there's something in a woman's past well before marriage that has made her very afraid to take on this charge versus aggressively and angrily opposed to it, then, you know, a husband stepping up and forward and expressing confidence and trust in her ability to care for him is going to be a huge step in the right direction. So no, I'm of course, I'm not saying that husbands are at all justified in indulging in a victim mentality any more than a wife is. I think it is important to note so that a husband understands what he's potentially up against, same as I would say for a wife to know what she is contending with when husband is resisting this charge from God to attend to the world, beginning with the well-being of his family as the fundamental unit of society. Moving on to announcements. That concludes my comments on Mature Readership of Marriage materials. When I started this podcast... It was because I was hearing from so many women, basically, we don't have time to read everything that you're recommending. (laughs) And so this podcast uh, was my answer to that. Now, however, two years later, um, the tides have turned. (laughs) Now I am hearing, we don't have time to listen to podcasts. Can you give us a book? Oh, and one book, because we still don't have time to read 20 books and several encyclicals, etc. So (laughs) I finally had time. Uh, to transcript the first year of the Will to Wife podcast episodes. And the first volume is now available in a journal format, with some editing for clarity's sake, of course, and also to eliminate truly unnecessary redundancies, uh, given that often at the beginning of those early episodes especially, I was recapping what we'd covered previously. But it is in a journal format, meaning that Uh, space is given intentionally for reflection for especially when we get into the discipline of joy there's a lot of internal examination that is needed uh to apply the principles presented and to that point you know my prayer and all of this has been if this podcast can help one marriage um then that's that's our goal and help means action you know i've said to people we don't get brownie points for what stays in our heads we can know all sorts of things what matters is if and how we act upon that information presenting the transcripts in a journal format is an intentional invitation to action you know, if you heard, or in this case read, something which has the potential to change your life and your marriage for the better, will you take the steps to actually make that happen? So volume one of the World to Life Journal is available. And the announcement is that it's currently on sale. The sale started yesterday on the feast of Saint Padre Pio. Um, and it will run through October 7, which is the Feast of Our Lady of Victory in commemoration of the Battle of Lepanto. It was later changed to the Feast of the Most Holy Rosary, and as far as I know, is referred to by either of these titles of feast days interchangeably. I am open to correction. Uh, The link to the Wilt Wife journal will be in the podcast episode description. It will also be on our Facebook page and our website. I just wanted to say thank you yet again for your support of this podcast. I so appreciate the feedback that I receive in response to various episodes. So much of the feedback is overwhelmingly encouraging, and I thank you all so much for the privilege of being a part of your journey and pursuit of sainthood. God bless.